For the rest of you that are here this morning, uh, just go ahead and begin to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 3. Uh, I started this last week, but uh, the Lord uh, had other things in mind if we didn't go very far, so uh, we're going to look at these verses today. Um, so... Philippians chapter 3, I want to read with you the first 11 verses today. And uh, we looked at verses two, 1 and 2 yesterday or last week, but we'll uh, do a quick recap and then uh, move on from there. So let's honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Let's stand together. Uh, it will be either on the screen, in your hands, wherever it is, uh, give you an opportunity to be able to follow along. Starting in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous. For you, uh, it is safe. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he has wherefore he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcision, uh, the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness uh, which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss for Christ, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things for loss, but loss for the excellency and the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of the suffering being made comfortable unto his death, if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Father, we come before you today and thank you for the words that you inspired in the writer Paul as he wrote these words to the Philippian church talking about our need to know you in such an intimate and deep knowledge of you. Lord, I fear that many today are content with surface knowledge. When you are asking for a deeper understanding, you are asking us to dig deep into who you are, that there might be a great foundation, there might be a great love, there might be a great willingness of service. Lord, move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross. Let it be your word that is proclaimed today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, I got a question for you. How good does a person have to be to go to heaven? Jesus made it clear, clear enough in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, therefore, you are uh, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. In that sermon, Jesus hit at the uh, Pharisees who thought that they were good enough to qualify for heaven. They had never murdered anyone, but Jesus said unto them that being angry with our brother, we have broken God's law and are guilty enough to go into that fiery pit of hell. The Pharisees prided themselves on never committing adultery. Yet Jesus said to lust 
uh, after a woman in our heart is to break that commandment. The absolute righteousness of God, not just in our outward behavior, but in our thoughts, is the standard for what we must live up to if we want to get to heaven based upon our own good works. In spite of the repeated clear teaching of God's word, many errors persist that those who believe that human standards in a decent person is enough to get them into heaven. At the root of that persistent heresy is pride, which is what keeps most people from Christ and the gospel. As we saw in our last sermon, Paul was uh, plagued by a group of false teachers called Judaizers who infected the church he had founded and subtle errors that uh, appealed to the pride of man. They did not deny that a person needed to put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, but they simply added a works element to this foundation of salvation through faith because of God's grace. They wanted folks to follow in the Jewish writ of circumcision. To faith in Christ is essential requirement for salvation. Paul strongly warned the, the Philippians to beware of this subtle but damnable heresy that was being spread among the church. Today we experience it all the time. I talked about this in my Sunday school class this morning, that the world is trying to conform the church into its mold. And we should not be conformed by the, the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds through the reading of the Word of God. In our text today, he goes on to argue that if ever there was a person, anyone who was able to stand up and say, listen, if anybody should have the criteria or the reputation or the background for being able to be in, allowed into heaven apart from salvation... It would be Paul. But Paul tells us here that he was willing to throw all of his reputation, all of his good standing, all of his right behaviors uh, into the dung heap because it was nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And warning us against this counterfeit Christianity, which still persists today, that mixes both faith and Christ Faith in good works will never get us into heaven. Paul shows us how that we can truly come to know God in such an intimate way that we will know Him and continue to want to know Him in a deeper and more spiritual way. There are many wonderful things in this life, but knowing Christ is the greatest thing for all of us. Nothing can compare with knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Nothing can compare to knowing Him on an intimate and personal basis beyond that of just simple salvation. Paul lays out the case for us here in chapter 3 in these verses, causing us to ask some important questions we're going to look at this morning. And when answered correctly, they will always lead to a deeper understanding of knowing God. Now, in verses 1 and 2, we looked at it last week, and I'm just going to quickly buzz over it. What in your life is drawing you away from Christ? What is drawing your attention away from Christ? 
Paul warns us here to watch out for those things that would draw our attention away from Christ. There are many voices calling out for our attention in this life, but not all of these voices have our best interest at heart. Most of them want your interest in their benefit, not yours. Paul tells us in these two verses to watch out for anyone or anything that would draw your attention away from Christ. In verse 1, he reminds us that one of the greatest assets that we have, one of the greatest tools that we have to keep our mind focused on Christ is praising God. How many of us woke up this morning praising God? How many of us realized that we needed to wake up this morning praising God? It would have changed the outlook of our day. The reality is, Paul says, if we will keep the praise of God at the forefront of our mind, the the voices that are crying out to us from the world will be drowned out by our praise to God. But he also says that not only are we to focus our mind, but we are to be aware that there are false teachers constantly trying to manipulate their way into our life. We must stand upon this truth so that we will know that which is false. We need to understand that the more time we spend here, the less time we're going to believe in what they're saying out there. So the second thing that I want us to look at is found in verse 3. That's all I want to say about those two verses. Verse 3, how do we hold on? How do you hold on to your true identity in Christ? That's another question that we have to understand. If we're going to answer this correctly, it will help us to come to know Christ in a deeper and truer way. In verse 3, Paul says, watch out for those false teachers who would draw your attention away from Christ. Hold on to the true identity that we have in Christ. Look at verse 3 just for a moment. For it is he, we who are circumcision, we are the worship by Spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. True circumcision is not circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart, Paul says. These false teachers were focusing on the outward things of life when Paul was saying we need to be looking on the inward things of our heart. Paul wanted us to look inwardly instead of outwardly. And they were missing out on Christ. Paul identifies the true people of God as a couple of ways. First, he says, the true people of God are those who uh, worship by spirit of God. True worship is not a ceremony, it's not a ritual, it's not an order of service. Now we write up an order of service every single week as to what we intend to do. But you know what makes a great service? When God steps in and changes the way we do things. And he did that last week in our service, and I hope to God he does it this week in our service. Toby Mack sings a song that says, Lord, if you want to come steal the show, I'll get out of the way and you come on and do it. Lord, if you want to steal the show, you show up and we'll get out of the way. You see, the reality is Paul says that we don't don't worship God on, on the ritual outside. We worship God in the Spirit. When the Spirit speaks, we follow. When He speaks to our hearts, we move. True worship is is that of following the Spirit. Jesus said true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
If we want to connect with God, if we want to know God on a deeper level, it's not what we do on the outside. It's what we are experiencing on our spirit on the inside. The second thing that Paul reminds us here in verse 3 is those true believers show these marks. We are those who glory in Christ and Christ alone. It's not in the glory of our works, but it is in the glory of what Christ did for us. Jeremiah chapter 9 says this, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord your God. The third thing that he says is that we're to put no confidence in the flesh. Listen, my friends, there is nothing in you that is worth saving. Listen, we are told that we are corrupt to the center of our core. If it weren't for Jesus Christ and his love for us, we would be eternally lost. But praise God, he loved us enough that he took hold of our lives through his salvation. There's a specific reference to circumcision here, but the phrase means much more than that outward act. It means we don't put our confidence in ourselves when it comes to our relationship with God. But once again, in Christ alone. I come by faith through, or to, uh, by grace through faith. I come believing that Jesus did everything that was needed for me to stand before the Lord. Nothing that I do is going to matter, meaning that I can't win my salvation, I can't earn my salvation, but as a believer, I work out my salvation, Paul said. I am working with and for the Lord as because of His great salvation. Watch out for those who would draw your attention away from knowing Christ, loving Christ, serving Christ, Because, listen, knowing Christ is the greatest thing that we can do in this Christian life. Too many of us are worried about working our way instead of knowing the way. We must know Christ. So we must act and ask ourselves, what is drawing us away from Christ? What is keeping us from coming to know Jesus? Listen, my friends, we need to understand that God has a plan and a purpose for our life, and that is to know Him in an intimate and personal way. The third question that I want us to look at today is found in verses 4 through 6. And what are you placing your confidence in? Now listen, is it Christ or is it self? What is it that you are placing your confidence in in this life? The question picks up from what Paul said in verse 3, and now Paul develops the idea more fully here in these few verses. In verse 3, he said, We put no confidence in the flesh. And now here in verse 4, he continues, Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if anyone else thinks that he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have much more. Now, listening to that statement, one might ask the question, is Paul boasting here? (laughs) Is Paul bragging? Yep, Paul's bragging. But not in the way that you think. Paul's bragging to make a point that he said, listen, uh, of, of my background, 
of my heritage, of my walk, my relationship with the law. I stood at the greatest chance of all of winning God's favor. But he said, I came to realize that not a, nothing, none of it mattered. None of it would do it. Yes, Paul is based, boasting to a point, but only for a purpose. Paul had more reason than anyone else to put confidence in the flesh. And he is going to boast just for a minute about that so that he can show us all the things that he used to put his confidence in before he came to know the one who removed all of the flesh and gave him a heart after the things of God. I wonder how many of us would say today that God took away our desire of the flesh and gave us a heart after God. In salvation, many of us receive the salvation in hopes that we're going to heaven. But many of us miss the fact that we're to let go of the desires of the flesh and seek to have a heart after God. That's what the Apostle Paul did and that's what he wants to show us here today. Is listen, I could have held on to the confidence of the flesh, but I found that it was worth nothing compared to having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? They are exactly the same kinds of things that people are continuing to put their confidence in today instead of Christ. But what are they? Well, let's look at a few of the things that Paul talks about in these verses. First of all, Paul talks about the fact that he put his confidence in his background. We see that Paul's background is found here in verse 5. Look at what it says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel out of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, to you and I, that doesn't sound like much. It's a kind of a marble, garble, jarble stuff. But to a Jew, this meant the world. This, this was a trademark to say that I am like saying I am of the family of the Rockefellers or I am of the family of the Kennedys or I am of the family of this or that that people are well known about. What Paul was saying was that his background, his heritage gave him a leg up in the area of confidence. Paul is putting together his resume for God here. God, if, if you were to ever look at somebody, this is the beginning of the resume in which God would say, wow, that's a pretty good background. First, he was circumcised on the eighth day. It, it wasn't a ninth day, it wasn't a seventh day. His parents followed the letter of the law. They were there exactly at the right time. They followed the letter of the law. This means that Paul was no latecomer to the Jewish faith. This meant that his parents fulfilled every requirement needed to fulfill the law, and he was raised in the faith from the infancy unto adulthood. He was given every opportunity of education and religious knowledge. Second, he said that he was of the people of Israel. This means that he was truly of Jewish descent. He wasn't an outsider who claimed to be a Jew. He was of Jewish descent. His family was not Gentiles who converted to Judaism. He was a full-fledged Jew by birth. Third, he said that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin being the well-regarded tribe of Israel. Did you know that Benjamin is the only one of Jacob's sons who was born in the promised land? To be of the tribe of Benjamin puts you in a different class. It puts you in a high society. 
Alright? Fourthly, Paul is a Hebrew of Hebrews. That meant that both Hebrew-speaking Jews at the time and Greek-speaking Jews, Paul spoke the native language of Hebrew. His parents spoke Hebrew. His mother raised him as a Hebrew. His father taught him as a Hebrew. He knew this religion inside and out. It gave him just one more edge in writing his resume. If anyone had reason to put confidence in a background, Paul says, it is I. But Paul also put his confidence in his achievements. Paul took that of his background, of his raising, of his heritage, and then he began to apply his life. Paul was not one of those slacker students, uh, you know, who just kind of slid through school and said, as long as they graduate me at the end, that's all I care. No, Paul went in and he gave his all. You know those types, those studious types. They study everything. They're, they're always reading a new book. They're always looking for new answers. They're, they're always on the A honor roll. They're always the teacher's pet. All right? So you know, and that was the Apostle Paul or Saul at that time. Paul goes on to list his achievements. In regard to the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He was tops among the Pharisees. In verse 6, he goes on to say, As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for the legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. Now what is Paul saying? Paul was a Pharisee. He studied uh, under one of the most widely known, highly respected Pharisees in all of Jerusalem. Paul just wasn't a student. He was a top-notch student. Paul was one of those who studied under the elite. He had the best of education. The Pharisees not only uh, knew the law, they lived and breathed the law for breakfast. They weren't going to out, be outdone by Paul in this area. There was, there was no one who, who put more emphasis on it than Paul. And now look at what else he says as for zeal. How many of us have zeal? That means that we, we, we are fervent, that we are uh, go-getters, that we're, we're excited and, and, and we're, we're always leading the pack. Any of those around? We need some of those, by the way. Uh, just step up. Vacation Bible school needs them. Children's church needs them. Kids camp needs them. Sunday school needs them. I could go on and on. We need some folks with zeal. But listen to what Paul said. His zeal was placed in all the wrong places. He said, as for having zeal, there was nobody more zealous than I was, no more committed than I was. But he said he had zealousness over persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He said there was nobody. Now listen, there were people that were complaining about the first century church. There were people complaining about Jews following Jesus. But no one took it to the point that Paul did. Paul said, listen, I not only had a zeal against the church, but I was the one who was leading the charge to persecute the church. Others may have complained, but Paul's main goal was to destroy the church. And then as for legalistic righteousness or faultlessness, whatever the law said to do, Paul did it. Whenever the law said to do it, Paul did it. He was always on time. He was always on track. He dotted all the I's, he crossed all the T's. When it comes to following even the minuscule details of the law, Paul did it. If anyone could say that I have confidence before God, Paul's the man. 
his background and his record were flawless. He would, would have been the MPV or MPV of the, uh, the uh, game. Paul counted these things as loss for the sake of Christ. Now look at Paul says, listen, I, I've talked about my background. I've talked about my achievements. But now let me tell you what they're really worth. Let me tell you what they really did for me. Paul counted them all for loss for the sake of Christ. Look at verse 7. But whatsoever was to my profit, was. Did you notice that? Whatsoever was. That stuff in the past that I thought was so important, that stuff in the past that I was so cling to, that stuff in the past that I was, I, I was thinking that was making me who I am, that was in the past. But now I consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul counted all the good in his life, and he came up to, uh, which came up to a whole lot of good according to his standards. But when he met Christ on that road to Damascus, when he interacted with Christ, he experienced the, the salvation that God and God alone can bring through grace. Paul had a change. All of the things that he thought were worth something now took on a whole new value. Valueless. You see, Paul began to realize that, that all of the confidence that he had in them weren't getting him nowhere. Whatever was his profit or his gain, he now counted loss for the sake of Christ. The lesson from verses 4 through 7 has got to be clear, my friends. Put your confidence in Christ, not in your background, not in your achievements. Christ is the only thing that matters. Put your confidence in Christ, not in yourself. Whatever it is that you've accomplished, whatever it is that you have gained, whatever family you come from, now you might be the pillars of the church. You might be those folks that, that were, were, were the founding fathers and mothers of the church. But listen, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, all of your background, all of your achievements, all of your credit is nothing. It will get you nowhere. But if you put your faith and trust in Christ, it will get you everywhere. It will get you to heaven. So now what Paul wants us to understand is there's a last question, and I want to close with that question today. We're left with one important question that every believer needs to ask. Every one of us in this room needs to answer. Do you want to know Christ more than anything else in the world? Let me ask it again. Do you want to know Christ more than anything else in this world? Now you might be saying what Paul might have said, but I know Christ. I met him on the road to Damascus. I know him. You see, it's not just enough to count those things that we had as profit, as loss. You're to consider everything loss compared to knowing Christ. Your background, your degree, your accomplishments, your bank accounts, your possessions, all the things that you care most deeply for could be your children, could be your spouse, could be your family, 
Paul says we count all these things but loss. They will not get us into heaven. They will not cause us to grow and know Christ more deeply. For they all pale in comparison to the surpassing greatness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ simply becomes the most personal thing that we can do in this world. Paul was willing to lose all things simply to know Christ more. Now listen, you might be here this morning and you might be saying, well, preacher, I got saved years ago. I've been saved for decades. Great. But do you know Christ? Is he the deepest, most desiring thing in your heart? Do you know him more personally today than you did when you came to know him? I'm not just saying that you know a little bit more. Listen, if you've been a Christian for decades, you ought to be walking in him in fullness of spirit. There should be an intimacy about him, an understanding of, of his word, of his promises. If you've been a Christian for a short time, you may be saying, well, I'm I'm not there, but I'm I'm striving. That's what the Apostle Paul said, that I'm not there yet, but I'm constantly striving to know Christ more today than I did yesterday. Can that be said of your life? Can that be said of my life? Am I striving to know him more today than I knew him yesterday? Paul was willing to allow all things to be considered loss. And then Paul said, listen, I consider them rubbish, garbage, waste, that I may gain Christ. Here's Paul's testimony. And here's a great model for all of us to follow that we need to put everything else aside and we need to hunger for an intimate understanding and knowledge of who he is. That hunger should be the greatest desire of our heart. It should be the focus of our life. And it should cause us to do certain things. It should cause us to pray more It should cause us to spend more time in this word. It should cause us to seek him, to desire him, to hunger for him, to love him. And listen, you won't do all of those things. If you do, you will be willing to serve him. And you will follow him. And you will say as they sang today, where is my servant? Here am I, Lord. Send me. Here am I, your servant listens, now speak. Paul already knew Christ. He had known him for years. But he's writing to the Philippian believers and saying, listen, all that I've known, all that I have, pales in comparison to what I want to know, how I want to know and how I want to be. 
He made it very clear that He knows Him better now than He did before. But that's not enough. He said, but I want to know Him more tomorrow than I do today. He wants to know Him more fully, more deeply in every passing day. Is it that same way with us? It should be that same with us. It should be the desire of our heart. It should be the passion of our soul. There's no greater thing that we can have in our life than to know Christ. To know Christ is to give us the strength to walk through all of the trials and the tribulations and all of the heartaches and all of the messes of this world. To know Him is to trust Him. To know Him is to love Him. To know Him is to serve Him. Will you make knowing Christ the supreme desire of your heart? I pray you will. Let me pray for you. Father, I come before you this morning and I thank you for who you are for what you've done for us and how that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Now, Father, as we humble ourselves before you this morning, recognizing that we could talk about our past experiences, we could talk about our, our, our works and our, 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 our background and our achievements, but they won't say anything. Lord, we want to know you. And Lord, I'm thankful that the Bible tells us that God fully desires that his servants know him. He wants us to know him. He's made way for us to know him. Now, Father, would you make it the supreme desire of our heart to know you, to love you, 